This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Julie Cerny is a gardener, an outdoor enthusiast, and an educator. Her new book, The Little Gardener, Helping Children Connect with the Natural World, provides some unusual and inspirational guidance for parents, grandparents, caregivers, and educators who want to help children explore the natural world through gardening. Part how-to, part teaching tool, and part inspiration, the little gardener shows gardeners of all ages how to envision and build their garden together by making the process an adventure to be treasured with much to learn along the way. I am pleased to welcome Julie with us this week. Welcome, Julie. I'm delighted to be here with you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Now, you and I talked in advance, and I would love to have you start off by reading a portion from your introduction for listeners to set the context for exactly what kind of outdoor and gardening educator you are. Thank you. I began working as an outdoor educator 15 years ago in cities at summer camps, in town parks and state forests. And in the wilderness, I guided youth through experiences studying ponds, hiking mountains, and playing games that illustrated how natural systems work. Together, we would walk silently in the dark, snowshoe across frozen ponds, identify trees by bark and bud, inspect animal tracks in mud and snow, map ecosystems, and splash stream water on our faces. I saw hundreds of children light up inside. Children were intrigued as they observed pond water under a microscope and hiking mountains was awe-inspiring. Playing games was an exciting way to learn key ecological concepts. Nature became a friendlier and more familiar place. Though I saw these children lighting up inside and knew the experiences were meaningful to them, as an educator, I was concerned that these activities weren't doing enough to connect them to nature in a deep and personal way or to cultivate and understanding of where human beings fit into ecological systems. I realized that nature was still a place to them. Nature was still an other. It wasn't until I saw children in a garden, holding seeds, planting them, touching the soil, and smelling, harvesting, and tasting food, which is nature, that I knew they were truly perceiving their place in the natural world. And it made perfect sense. The most direct and intimate way to connect with nature is clearly to eat it. A small part of it becomes a small part of you, and it fills you up a little more every time. Eventually, you begin to realize that you have always been 100% nature, that you are made of the same components of all that you see in the natural world, your body made of water and carbon, same as the flower stalks. Gardens remind us that everything is connected and that everything includes us. Hmm. Thank you very much for starting with that. It is a lovely summary of the ethos that winds its way throughout your book uh, from my reading of it. I gave you a very basic introduction. Tell us a little bit about your specific relationship with plants right now? What what do you do on a daily basis, uh, both personally and professionally, with plants in your life, Julie? Oh, I'm very grateful to be 
living in a space where I get to have a very strong relationship, both personally and professionally, uh, with plants and with nature. Right now, I am living and working on a farm called The Farm at the Landing. That's in Stuyvesant, New York, in the Hudson Valley. And this farm is a, I like to call it a, a fledgling collective of sorts. We have several different farm enterprises here on this particular piece of land, um, Damsel Garden, which is a cut flower business. We have a goat cheese operation and there are beef cattle grazing as well. And then we also grow vegetables and those are distinct projects. And I am at this time mostly engaged with the growing of flowers, which is uh, relatively new to me. Um, veggies have been uh, more my wheelhouse in the past. It's been nice to expand into the world of cut flowers. And we are growing a variety of veggies, mostly for uh, the folks that work here, um, not for sale. So that's kind of my relationship with cultivated plants at the moment. Um, my relationship with wild plants, I am fortunate to have a lot of space to be able to walk around a mix of field and forest. Um, I'm also fairly close to the Hudson River, and that's a whole different world. I've been mostly a mountain girl. Um, I've been able to connect with the ecosystems around, um, you know, river ecosystems. And that's been, um, been a nice, a nice switch. Mm. So I enjoy forests very much and find great peace. Um, and also things to snack on. <laughs> a big fan of, um, of ramps. And we have a few neighbors that are more experienced foragers. So I'm learning a, a bit more about that as well. Nice. Now, you referred a little bit to the fact that this is not your uh, landscape by birth, perhaps. Take us back to the people and places and plants that grew you into a person who would choose this path in life, Julie. I grew up uh, for the first 10 years on Long Island um, in a very suburban environment. Um, we had a postage stamp backyard, but my dad was an avid vegetable gardener. And of that small backyard, probably 20% of it was filled. The whole perimeter was filled with vegetables. So from a very young age, I understood that food was something that grew and understood that there was a way to be in love with doing that. My family, my dad, before he and my mom met, had bought uh, 30 acres of just forest and a tiny little hunting cabin a couple hours north, not too far from where I am now. And it was a little one room, one room hunting cabin. So once he had a family, that was our little escape on weekends and vacations from school. And I spent hours playing in streams, my sister and I, and building forts and, you know, being in the garden on Long Island and kind of co-creating there and co-creating with nature in a more wild space was my real foundation in connecting uh, with the natural world. Yeah. And I, I really love that, uh, 
that idea of co-creating, which which is a wonderful um, word and concept, you also weave throughout the the book um, and the ethos of. Um, the little gardener. You've been at this work for quite a while now. Connect the dots for us. How did you get from, um, you know, this younger foundation of, you know, gardening being modeled for you, the outdoors and familiarity and comfort to some extent with it being modeled for you, and then make your way into your career as an outdoor educator? Because sometimes these are windy pathways that have interesting (laughs) surprises for us. Yes. So the, that foundation started to blossom more uh, in high school. Um, I joined a club called Envirothon, which was, um, it was uh, kind of an ecology club, but with a little bit of a competitive uh, component um, <laughs> where there were different teams of high schoolers around uh, both New York State and across the country that would gather for, for these challenges of um, you know, identifying trees and layers of soil and bird songs. And I had this love for, for not only learning that, but to feel smart when it came to nature, like to have the different components of the natural world be the thing that I was, um, you know, becoming my, a, a little teenage expert in, that felt really good. And that was one of the first times, I think, where I really remember being excited to be gathering a lot of knowledge on, on a particular, in a particular area. Uh, uh. That uh, manifested into attending the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry out in Syracuse and studying environmental studies with a focus um, in biological applications, which was basically a fancy term for studying ecosystems. Um, And that was the first time I really felt in community with young people that, you know, I got a little bit of that in the Envirothon group, but this was much more pervasive and strong and, you know, this whole college devoted to many of the things that I cared deeply about and was mm-hmm. very interested in. Yeah. Environmental studies, it's a very broad, uh, it's a very, it was a very broad major. And I was still unsure kind of where I wanted to be in the environmental field in my future. And that gave me a little bit of, a little bit of wiggle room. But what I came to understand after, um, participating in a fellowship with the college and the National Science Foundation as an undergraduate, I was able to dip my toes into the outdoor education, environmental education world. And Mm -hmm. I loved it. Mm. That combined with some of the classes I was taking that really talked about the human relationship to nature. And that's really what I wanted to, to seek my, sink my teeth into. After that, I went on to um, have a few different a few different jobs uh, working for New York State Parks, and that eventually morphed into 
farm-based education. I can dive, I can dive more into that if that's of interest. Well, and we might, that might come back up uh, as we get deeper into how you structured the book and, um, you know, the, the different areas that you focused on from your experiences as to what was important to, to follow this project with. Um, that was the wrong way of putting that, but the important <laughs> sort of points or threads that you wanted to make sure were in this, basically uh, a, an instructional and a guidebook uh, that's encouraging very specific habits and mindsets about how we learn in the garden and what we learn from the garden that I, I found really refreshing and interesting. And I'm guessing that a great many of those lessons came to you and were kind of cemented from these earlier experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I find really interesting about the, the journey that you've shared with us so far is just that importance of your being aware of your pride and gratification at this ecological literacy, a term that, you know, at my age of, you know, the mid fifties, you know, is not a term my parents would have ever used. Like people hadn't begun to set aside, you know, the different kinds of literacies or intelligences. Um, partly because I think, you know, in past times, most of these were built into our everyday lives. But as our everyday lives have become more fragmented and compartmentalized, there is this first you notice that people don't have something and then you put it back in more formally. And I think ecological literacy is one of these. And I think it's a it's a, a beautiful articulation of something that is that should be innate that partly is innate and that's kind of what we tap into when we are working with other people I think on um, learning to relate to plants and soil and ecosystems whether in the garden or on the trail would you would you say that's a fair I I agree and um, a portion of the book really tunes into that mm -hmm. that feeling of uh, gardening bringing something up in us is that is more raw and alive than um, what we may be feeling in our day to day. And this idea that walls, even in a, in a traditional school and classroom setting, we have walls between where we teach science and health and health and math and math and history. And all of those things are swirled together with billions upon billions of working parts and we've compartmentalized all of them and detached them from the systems they belong to in an effort to to understand them better and working in a garden i find breaks down those walls without without really having to try Mm -hmm. It kind of reintegrates a lot of things that that have been pulled apart into their component parts, which, you know, as you just pointed out, there were reasons to do that. There are reasons to separate things out so you can see them on their own. But they, at least from my experience, they often 
get so separated that you fail to see what they are integral to, and there is something lost there. The context of each of those things, but also more importantly, and in my mind, is the is the synergy between them that they are greater than the sum of those parts. And with those walls there, there's very little to grasp at in terms of the synergistic relationship between all of those parts. Yeah. I can tell that I could talk to you about these things for a very long time, but um, <laughs> I really don't want to give the book any um, short change in, in us being able to talk about it and you being able to walk people through uh, your your structure and, and how you do integrate all of these ideas into your manual and guidebook and encouragement um, for people to become involved in sharing and teaching and learning in the garden with young people, but not just for the young people, it's for all of us. And you're very clear about that throughout, that there, um, there is something to be gained from all age groups and um, experience levels in this relationship building that you're encouraging us to to take part in. So how did you come to write The Little Gardener? And who who is your target audience and, and why? For me, the the why that I'll start with the why. I feel like even in the book, we start with the why, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the idea of setting an intention and having that be the place you go back to when you feel um, a little off track or maybe a little overwhelmed or maybe over in over your head or just to find calm in your sense of purpose. Um, so the why for the little gardener is to really is to cultivate ecological literacy, this understanding that we humans and all the other life that we see on this planet would not be possible without ecological systems. And for many of us in our in our day to day, that relationship is not visible, or it, it's it, it takes a lot of energy to to find it and to have a working and meaningful relationship with it. Gardening, I feel, is one of the most accessible ways to you know to the most number of people to form a connection to nature because very simply we all eat you know food is nature nature is food and so when i when i think about what you know my own purpose and my own heart and operating in this world is to cultivate conscious connections to nature and to create joyful connections between ourselves and nature, ourselves and each other, and ourselves and ourselves. And I find that gardening is a beautiful way to do that. So the book, um, the target audience is really for anyone who wants to reconnect with nature. And the way it's designed is for a quote unquote big gardener and a quote-unquote little gardener or some combination of that kind of team to work together to create a garden together and understand that a garden really is 
nature. It's cultivated nature, but the same systems really apply. So it it serves as this, for me, a distinctly beautiful classroom uh, where those walls are broken down, where we can have these meaningful relationships between ourselves, nature, and each other, and have those uh, raw come alive experiences. And the fact that those things can happen, whether you have an acre to work with, mm-hmm. or if you have, you know, a gallon bucket or an old yogurt container sitting on a porch or on a sunny windowsill, that accessibility was really important to me. And I think, you know, for years I've been saying, oh, now more than ever, it's so important that we connect with nature. You know what? It's always going to be important that we connect with nature. We, to, to be, to be um, blunt about it, we, we wouldn't be here without nature. We are a part of it. And um, so I always feel like it's the most important time to be reconnecting <laughs> the natural world. I agree. I agree. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Julie Cerny is an outdoor educator and author of the book The Little Gardener, part how-to manual, part personal plea for reconnecting with nature for all that it can teach us. Perfect for your back-to-school needs in science, math, ecology, nutrition, and the ever-important what it means to be intentionally human. We'll be right back for more. Stay with us. when Julie articulates this in our conversation and in the book, The Little Gardener. Quote, And it made perfect sense to me. The most direct and intimate way to connect with nature is, clearly, to eat it. A small part of it becomes a small part of you, and it fills you up a little more every time. Eventually, you begin to realize that you have always been 100% nature, that you are made of the same components of all that you see in the natural world, your body made of water and carbon, the same as the flower stalks. Gardens remind us that everything is connected and that everything includes us, end quote. I really like the idea of eating the carrots and onions, the beans and apples that grew in the soil of the garden in which I make my life. I love how the fact that the rain fell on them, the sun warmed them, the nights cooled them. They felt the smell of the seasonal fires and that of a starry spring evening. And in eating them, I am all of these things. I am the land I stand on. Literally, in my gut, I am them. We are our gardens. There's a certain romance, but also a gravitas to that truth being embodied in us, by us, for us. We're back now to our conversation with Julie Cerny, outdoor educator, working to encourage ecological literacy and learning through the garden to the natural world. Your target audience is 
pretty much anybody, but it is also quite specifically someone who is in a position of mentoring or or yeah. uh, guiding or um, partnering with a younger person or a less experienced person in this relationship to a garden. And um, I love the pullouts uh, for the little gardeners um, and that very first one about uh, you know, where you go to set the intention in the dreaming your garden is, you know, what do you want this garden to be for? What do you, how do you want to grow from it? What do you want to learn from it? The description of, um, for the little gardener, that's specifically for the younger person to describe what an intention was, I thought was just very lovely. And um, so walk people, the, the book is sort of, um, breaks down into one, two, three, four major uh, subcategories besides the um, introduction and the conclusion. But the dreaming your garden, crafting your garden, growing your garden, and then teaching and learning your garden. Walk listeners through what what your goals were and your hopes were in each of these sections. And let's start with dreaming your garden. It had some really nice elements. So... In my day-to-day life, I find it very helpful to set intentions both for my day, for my week, and I do that here and there, you know, when I can, and I find that it keeps me connected to the things that I care most about and that ways I want to be most helpful and connect to my purpose. And I think that's the best way to start a garden, too. So in Dreaming Your Garden, um, in the first chapter of visualizing, we have the big and little gardener taking turns, imagining what their dream garden looks like, and really letting uh, the two of that two or more, you know, um, gardeners involved, unearth their creativity. And then the, the second part of dreaming your garden is discovering it's important to not just be this is my dream garden and I'm going to plop it here because that's where there's a spot your garden is existing within the greater ecosystem and the greater environment of the the land that you have whether again whether that is a sunny windowsill or a backyard and in that, that discovering in that moment of discovering, I encourage the big and little gardener to take a lot of time to get to know their space. Watch the sun and the shadows. Watch where the rain pools. Watch where the first frosts form and where they leave first. And the kind of mindfulness that comes with observing in that way will form a wonderful foundation for, for moving along in gardening. And then the last part of that, this first section, Dreaming Your Garden, is preparing. How can you take your garden vision and mesh it with the reality that you've discovered through your observations? Yeah. I was, you know, just because of who, who I am and, and coincidentally, uh, I have just finished writing my second book and it's going to be published next year, but it is about gardens of the West. And one of my great 
kind of missions in in the written part of it that I was responsible for uh, was this idea of really asking ourselves as gardeners to understand where we live and that, um, you know, even beyond climate and weather patterns and, you know, exposures to, to understand what our watersheds are, what our soil types are because of geology and, and the mountain ranges or other large land masses that make where we live specific to, to try and get to know them. I mean, I've noticed where I live and it's suburban outside of a, a relatively small city, but even here where I can see mountains in the distance and I know the ocean is three hours west, I can be in an, you know, in a development and I could be anywhere. I could be anywhere on this planet. It looks so generic. And I think this is one of the great potential strengths of gardeners in this day and age is that if we reconnect, we are a big enough group of people that we help everybody reconnect to this idea that we live somewhere and orienting ourselves to that specific somewhere helps with caring for what that somewhere actually is. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. And I feel that working in a garden, especially for little gardeners, for young people, the ability, the, the opportunity that the garden gives to see what one is capable of doing with their hands, the changes that they can make, the ways they can hurt, the ways they can help, mm. it's it's a class. It's the classroom of all classrooms. Uh, and, um, but giving young people the opportunity to see that you have the power to really make something happen. And wh- whether that's a simple lesson, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't water, you know, for the last couple days. And now my tomato plants look really sad or oh like look at this like the tomato plants I put compost on these few and I got distracted and I didn't get to these ones and um and these tomato plants that they look like they're doing a little bit better even though they didn't get as much water so having that opportunity to say wow what I can do can make a difference yeah yeah um, I took us on a tangent there because I was just <laughs> so happy to see that, like connecting to your land. I was really excited about that. Take us to crafting your garden. In crafting your garden, it moves through designing, planning, and then actually physically creating. In the design phase, you're shaping the garden to meet your intentions and your environment. So taking what you've gathered in um, visualizing, discovering, and preparing, taking it to the next level. In designing, you make decisions about um, how your dream is going to come alive. And you're doing that, you know, on paper or on paper, maybe out in the, out in your space too. Maybe you're testing out um, where your different garden beds will be, how wide the path should be. Um, a story, I believe I tell it in the, in the design section, uh, in the design chapter, is I went to a conference 
a farming conference here in New York. And there was a story someone told about this rooftop greenhouse that was being built. And it took so much, so much human work and energy and thought and money to create this beautiful greenhouse. And once they started to get it up and running, something wasn't working quite right. And they realized that the way the buildings were, the buildings around it, the orientation with the sun, was that it just wasn't going to get the right amount of sun and warmth at those critical moments that was going to make this particular greenhouse successful. And so very, you know, it, it was a, it was an oversight, but this is part of really getting to know your space and getting to know what your purpose is. So um, also in the design chapter, you might be thinking about, oh, well, you know, if I'm going to be using a wheelbarrow a lot, it, it makes sense for my paths to be as wide as my wheelbarrow. If I'm going to just be using buckets, maybe they can be a little narrower. But if grandma wants to visit and she needs a little bit of extra space to move around, you know, maybe we do want to have a little more space. Maybe you know, going back into your purpose and your intentions, perhaps your intention was simply to have enough ingredients to, to make a salsa by the end of the summer and to have a place to relax at the end of the day. So, you know, make sure you plan in that place to relax, a little bit of open space that is not necessarily for producing something, but to offer you a space to feel something instead. In the planning chapter, we get more into the nuts and bolts of timing out your garden and spacing out your garden, creating a schedule for what you want to plant when and how different plants help each other. So talking about companion planting and uh, drawing, planting things to draw in pollinators. So that's more about setting up your garden map and your calendar. And yeah. then it moves into the creating process where you're working on the nuts and bolts of really building your beds and making making the structures that will allow your garden to come to life. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Julie Cerny is an outdoor educator and author of the book, The Little Gardener, encouraging us all to cultivate conscious and joyful connections to all of the natural world around us. We'll be right back for more. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week, I'm thinking about systems and how Julie talks about them. Nature is made up of systems that work together to create what we know as our natural world. Planetary systems, atmospheric systems, soil systems, water systems, weather systems, plant and animal ecosystems. Likewise, our individual bodies are made up of systems the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, the skeletal system, the muscular system, the nervous system, and so on. We know that when even one part of one system in our individual body is not feeling well or working well, it takes a toll on all the systems in our entire body. Similarly, our cultures over time and space has created cultural systems with which to organize our understanding and functioning as cultures. 
We have community systems that have allowed for organized functioning of everything from small villages to urban metropolises. We have religious systems, transportation systems, food systems, educational systems, and political systems. I love when Julie shares her own experiential knowledge that a garden is a uniquely beautiful classroom where we can see and know many of these other larger systems more clearly. And the walls between these larger systems are in the garden broken down in order to have those raw, come-alive experiences together. And mostly because you know I have been working on the use of the word gardener, and even what a possible collective noun for gardeners might be. I love, love, love when Julie speaks of us gardeners as co-creators with our land and plants. We create the system by active conscious choice or by inactive silence and apathy. The same is true in the garden as in the ballot box and in our families and, once again, in our gardens. How are your systems working? And what part have you played in that? We're back now to our conversation with Julie Cerny, outdoor educator and author of The Little Gardener, Helping Children to Connect to the Natural World. Welcome back. And both the crafting your garden and the growing your garden sections are very, uh, you know, they're practical. They are the the tangible, like this is the the technical how-to parts. But but it, what's also nice is because... Um, which I have not yet mentioned um, or hasn't come up yet, one of the things you are encouraging um, participants in this to do is create a garden journal where you um, both keep track and log what you're doing, but also write down your thoughts and your experiences and get into that kind of habit, which really, um, again, helps cement the, um, the power of this and the... Um, mindset changes that can take place. And so that goes all the way through even this technical aspect of of the garden itself. Um, Talk a little bit about growing your garden and teaching and learning in your garden and the final two sections. So in growing your garden, that's where everything starts to come, come, really come to life, literally. (laughs) And Planting introduces the reader to seeds, the magic of seeds, the technical aspects of you know how far apart to be planting things, the, and um, then moving into the caretaking section. Um, this is one of my favorite chapters mm-hmm. um, because this idea of you know, I, I'm trying to remember this chapter, all of the chapters in a book, and as I'm sure you know, everything's evolving constantly all the time. Oh, this this doesn't quite fit right as a chapter title. Um, you know, in the beginning, that was, in my mind, the word maintenance. Mm. And maintenance is just such a, oh, 
of a word. <laughs> you know, I want, I was like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying to take care of something, Yeah. you know, so take that next step with your garden, just like any relationship that evolves where you're going to be, you know, nature gives so much to us and a garden nature is doing so much of the work. And yes, you've done your dreaming and you've done your clarifying and your crafting and you're getting into the, the juicy part of planting seeds and the joy of watching your first seeds come up. And so, so much of so many of the forces that make that happen are outside of our control. And so now it's a time to, um, to give back and to steward what is sustaining you and so this is kind of like the ultimate in the in the co-creative process and then last but not least harvesting experiencing nature as food so um, we talk a little bit about um, some different tasting activities that um, i've done with little gardeners in the teaching and learning gardens i've worked in and um, things I've learned as an, as an educator during some of those moments. Um, and then the teaching and learning in your garden section is all about, you know, when I'm going to rewind for just a second. And when, um, when I talk in the introduction about how to use this book, my suggestion is, you know, the, the book runs in a, in a very clear kind of chronological order, you know, the dreaming, the crafting, the growing. But I suggest that for the big gardener, once they start to get a flow of how, how the book is, is moving uh, for them and through them, to skip ahead and um, read a bit or all of chapter 10, which is, it's the only chapter in that last section. And that chapter is called Growing a Little Gardener, Teach Yourself to Guide the Way. So this is a moment to help the big gardener become little gardener's guide in the garden. You know, nature and the garden is going to do a lot of the teaching for you. And this is help this chapter is designed to help the big gardener kind of become nature's teacher's assistant to be that guide on the side um and i loved how you put this at the end of um the the section right before it and you said uh you know as a big gardener you are in a unique position to become as you just said nature's teaching assistant so that little gardener can become nature's keeper. And I just thought that was a lovely summation of that sort of role of responsibility. We as bigger people and, um, you know, garden lovers, uh, that that's a role that we have a, we have a responsibility in my opinion to, um, to offer out into the world. And one of the, um, one of the phrases that that sparked this book also was this idea of gardening being a way to cultivate nature's keeper. Um, and, uh, you know, just as you said, being able to um, take, have that co-creative experience and then feel that you have the, you have the 
you're capable of taking steps toward making the space around you, whether that's a garden or whether that's your community or beyond, that um, you you can make real things happen and you can um, take the values and your purpose and let those let your roots kind of kind of go out into the world. Yeah. No, it's a um it's a it's a beautiful uh concluding section and uh both in its specifics but in its uh heart as well. When you I, I'm becoming very aware of the clock now, Julie, and um <laughs> you know when you look at this work and I can hear the passion and and thought that goes into it for you and I, it is very clear in the book as well you know what what do you see as your greatest joys and how do you measure success in this work that you are doing both in the book and on the ground in teaching gardens um, where you are for me success both in general and in my work is um, is cultivating connection and connections that are joyful and meaningful and um, you know looping back into what I said before this um, connections to both self others and nature and realizing that that's all one thing um, and another way I measure success is both, you know, in the work I'm doing, like how, how alive do I feel right now? How, how much do I feel like what I'm able to give is, is making the world a a better place? Um, And, you know, kind of living in alignment with, um, with the goals and, you know, the values that I, I believe will, will cultivate a world that, um, that I'd certainly like to live in, but hopefully that most people would like to live in. And, um, and so, and, and not just how alive I feel, but I love crafting experiences that help people feel this is a good life and it can be a very hard life, but it is a good life. And I know that for me, when I am living on the land and, and co-creating with the land that, that supports me, I feel most alive. And I, I don't want anyone to miss out on that. Yeah. You know, in, the, in the, another section at the end of the introduction, I believe it is, uh, you're very um, honest and circumspect about some of the challenges. Um, and you, you write a few glaring facts, which indicate humans and gardens are unnatural is clear to you. And that for instance, in nature, there is no waste, something that we humans excel at creating. And as another example, plants and wild creatures take only what they need to survive. Whereas we humans take much, much more than that. And that while gardens might need us to survive, 
you are cognizant of the fact that wild nature doesn't really need us to survive except in places where we've already damaged it so much it it has no other option but to rely on us to not eradicate it completely the when you are sitting where you are now in in the light of our very specific moment in time with racial inequity and reckoning um, really in the spotlight right now as it should be and and the possibility for making change um, feeling more hopeful than ever and in light of this global pandemic that we are all living with now you know what how do you see gardens and mindful gardeners playing roles in some of these bigger arenas of importance to us? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think I go back to the fact that we all eat and um that is that is a huge common denominator that we're all reminded of, you know, many times throughout the day. And I think that it's a moment, um, it's a moment to be reconnecting on all levels. Um, I, when we were um, earlier in our conversation, I, I think I said, oh, this is such an important time to be connecting to nature, but every time is such an important time to be connecting to nature. Um, that stands, but it, it's also a more important time than ever to be connecting with each other. And I think one of the ways that we, um, we really, we, we do so well at connecting with each other is when we share food together and when we have experiences outdoors that contribute to, to creating that food, the idea of um, growing food and sharing it together is not something that is going to tear us apart. That is something that's going to bring us together. Um, unfortunately, during these times, it's very sad that we can't be eating together. Um, but perhaps it is still safe to be, to be gardening together. And um, I think that is such a blessing during this time to still to still have gardening as a way for us to be connecting to nature and each other even if we can't necessarily be be sharing the the fruits of that labor together yeah and i think you know as as you mentioned in your hopes for the book and and your work generally that in so many ways, these activities of cultivating our land and being in relationship with it for food or flowers or the bees and other bugs for the ecosystem, it does it does something really positive to our creativity. And so that force, I think, we can all be using to figure out ways to eat together somehow, to garden together somehow, to um, find these equalizing spaces of choosing the life we want to live and grow. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else you would like to add about um, the book or the work um, in, in light of our conversation? Um, I think just that 
in order to be, I'm going to bring it back to ecological literacy because I feel that once we understand or even understand isn't a good enough word, I think, once we feel those connections between how the earth operates and how we stay alive and how you know staying alive brings us all of these amazing experiences from you know raising families and enjoying music and um, eating and dreaming together and creating together that everything we do goes back to the fact that natural systems keep us alive and that we should do um, do everything we can to keep cultivating conscious connections with those systems so that our hearts are our hearts are really in it and that we can continue to um, continue to enjoy being here. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program. It was lovely to talk to you about your your wonderful book. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It was so wonderful to be here. Julie Cerny is a gardener, an outdoor enthusiast and educator. Her new book, The Little Gardener, Helping Children Connect with the Natural World, provides some unusual and inspirational guidance for parents, grandparents, caregivers, and educators who want to help children explore the natural world through gardening. Part how-to manual, part teaching tool, and part inspirational guide, The Little Gardener shows gardeners of all ages how to envision and build their garden together by making the process an adventure to be treasured with a great deal to learn along the way. The Little Gardener is available now through Princeton Architectural Press. Illustrations throughout the book are by Isme Durkan. I love how this book is dedicated for mom and dad and the trees. Join us again next week when we head outside with artist Dustin Gimbel, his first solo show featuring colorful and often arresting ceramic variations on the artistry of plants we love, is up at the Sherman Library and Gardens in Southern California through September 15th. More with Dustin next week. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. To see many photos of Julie Cerny's work and gardens, as well as lovely illustrations from The Little Gardener, check out this week's episode notes at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Together, we do cultivate conscious connections and joy through our shared impulse to garden. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.